You're listening to What the Dev. Today we're talking with Sircon Piantino, who was an early pioneer in the AI space. He's the founder of Spell, which is a startup that's aiming to make it easier for companies to use AI. Thanks for talking to us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, so you were kind of early on, you were in the AI space early on. I know you used mm -hmm. to work at Facebook and you led the development on the timeline and the messenger app. So mm -hmm. being in the space for so long, how has AI evolved since you've been working with it? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because AI is this term that I feel like it's dusted off every couple of uh, couple of decades. Um, so it's really not necessarily new. And it really just reflects when we get really excited about new things that we can do with computers. Um, there's like a joke uh, that I like to tell that it's only called AI until it's easy. So I'm sure at some point we'll look at the current set of things and uh, we won't look at them as AI anymore. But, um, you know, I think really starting around 2012, the way I put it is there were a lot of open questions in computer science that people had worked on for a long time. Things like specific tasks in computer vision or natural language um, in a bunch of what were at the time different domains. And starting around 2012, neural networks kind of uh, showed up and people applying them to these different problems uh, at scale and with the right amount of data and the right compute, not only started to tackle a lot of these open problems and created a lot of excitement, but also kind of unified those fields a little bit because now this one technique is the state of the art in um, a bunch of different places. So uh, I would say that, you know, AI has changed in that it's attracted a ton more attention. There are so many more people um, paying attention to machine learning than there were even five years ago. Um, if you look at the number of papers published, if you look at even in undergrad, uh, a lot of a lot of you know the top universities, uh, Carnegie Mellon, where I went, uh, included are offering AI undergrad degrees and of course have a lot more grad students working on these problems. And then I think what you're starting to see the early stages of now is real attention and real sort of like um, serious investment in industry in taking some of uh, those new techniques in AI and applying them to products and services and, and um, you know, things we use every day. Can you talk a little bit about launching Spell and why you guys are working to democratize AI? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the motivation, and I think any engineer will kind of connect with this. There's this like core tension that you feel when you see someone struggling with something and you know that you can automate it. And that was kind of one of the biggest motivations for starting Spell is we saw people, um, we saw a lot of very cool applications but we saw that it was just mechanically difficult to deal with it. And people were building their own uh, GPUs under their desk, or they were sort of manually using cloud resources to run experiments. They were, you know, writing scripts to grep through logs to take out uh, things so they could chart and keep track of experiments. And I think that one of the core motivations was just wanting to make that easier and giving people tools that um, make it much more efficient to, uh, um, to just work with AI and deep learning. And I think one of the things we hoped, and to get to your point about accessibility, is that by giving people tools that make running AI just as easy as running any code you can find uh, in the open source world, 
uh, we thought we'd bring more people into the field and ideally change the way we as a society talk about AI um, because the, the narrative can often be really dark and it can feel like this very sophisticated sort of out of reach thing when, um, you know, me and a lot of the other people at Spell just have a lot of fun tinkering with neural networks and, um, and playing with them. So the idea with Spell was to increase the access to improve the conversation that we were having around AI and to kind of be this bridge from people who already know how to write software to being able to use and deploy things that are built around AI using the same tools that they're already used to using. So for companies who thought that AI was um, unreachable to them, how do you recommend they get started with a solution like this? Yeah, I think, you know, most companies go through a sort of similar path. Um, they, you know, start to make investments in AI, and that usually comes from other things they're trying to do, just getting your data in one place, um, you know, building a data lake, uh, staffing up a couple people that either have the title data scientist or ML researcher, uh, ML engineer, those types of things. And so that's usually what we see is that companies start to make those investments um, in a small handful of people on a team. And then that team might be working on individual projects um, or they might be loaned out as kind of like internal consultants to, to other teams that have problems or questions they want to ask about data or you know, predictive systems they want to build. And where we usually show up is around the time those investments are, you know, starting to show impact. They're starting to have a couple models in production or um, they are getting a little bit more sophisticated with the models they're deploying. They start to bump into problems and they usually end up facing challenges around maintainability, uh, where you have a bunch of people working on individual projects, but if one moves on to something else, that code ends up getting kind of stale. It's hard to retrain that, uh, that application and deploy it again. Um, and they also start to notice that individually, people are spending 80, 90% of their time on not on machine learning or even data science, but much more on these just operational tasks of moving data around, um, I, you know, storing data sets, running experiments, um, and really just the sort of like raw mechanics of being able to run an experiment on some data, look at the results and, um, and make progress. So in that transition from just having a couple of people to having real tooling that helps them be efficient and, and organized and ideally collaborative so that they're learning from each other's work, um, that's usually where Spell is most helpful. And ideally in, in the next you know, couple of phases that, that companies go through, they really invest in something like Spell being not just um, how their practitioners get machine learning projects done, but also as a way of putting more of that machine learning uh, machinery in the hands of everybody who's technical within the organization and really turning their all of their software projects into, into things that might use data that might benefit from AI. What sort of things do you think need to be in place in order for like widespread adoption of AI across the board? You know, I think there's there are a couple prerequisites, but 
most companies are already doing these things pretty well. So, you know, you have to um, have all your data in one place and it has to be organized. But most companies have a data lake. They have something that resembles this already. Um, two is you have to start getting this intuition around where problems can be solved with machine learning. So early on uh, in 2017, when we were first starting the company, we talked to a lot of executives that were excited about AI, but they hadn't really started to understand what it could do, what it couldn't do, um, and map those onto applications within the company. And I think that's that's an important step as well. Um, but again, you know, a lot of companies, you know, just short of the executive level, there's somebody technical who understands machine learning and who's starting to map out those projects and ideally be able to sort them and prioritize them based on where they're going to have the most impact. Um, I think now the biggest barrier that we see in most organizations is just about workforce. You know, it's just about, um, and we, we do these surveys and we look at things like the top growing jobs on LinkedIn and they're all AI specialist, machine learning engineer, uh, data science engineer, those types of roles. So I think companies are now at the point where they're increasing those investments, depending on industry, you know, some more than others. But really the biggest problem that they're facing is, um, is having the right tools in place that they feel like they can onboard more people and increase those investments um, without sacrificing efficiency. Do you have any predictions for what the future of AI looks like? Yeah, a lot. And I think, you know, if I had to summarize it in in one thing is that we now think of AI as this sort of as its own its own entity. And I think in the future, AI will be one of the things that people who write software for a living use to build products and experiences. So I think if you think about being able to merge the world where you're programming a computer and you're telling it exactly what you want to do, or the world in which you're accumulating data and examples of what you want it to do, and uh, you're asking it to to fit itself to uh, to that curve. I think in the future, those will both be interchangeable tools that we use uh, to build products and software in the future. And I think you're already starting to see this from both directions. From the traditional software world, um, there's just a huge amount of curriculum and coursework. Um, I think the AI practitioner of not even the future, but even just the next couple of years is a talented software engineer who's gotten up to speed and uh, on machine learning, has done some online coursework and just has some experience building stuff around TensorFlow or PyTorch um, and, uh, and has taken that experience and is now able to use it in an industrial setting. So you're already seeing software engineers move more toward using AI in their daily lives. And then on the other side, in um, when we look at research labs and, and people that started from the AI world, you're starting to see the software get um, more sophisticated. You're starting to see in a lot of those organizations, what I used to call this head to tail ratio, how many people, how many academics with a research background to how many software engineers with a software background do you have? You're starting to see more of an emphasis on software, you know, more, sort of like stable, resilient work and scale that you can get from um, from really knowing how to build good abstract software. And you're even just starting to see um, 
these new paradigms, you have this uh, framework called JAX, which is uh, much more about instead of using a separate framework for um, designing your ML projects like TensorFlow, et cetera, really just building languages that themselves can um, be differentiable and you know, allow you to just write software that in itself it can be optimized and trained. So, um, so at the end of the day, as I sort of started out saying, I think software engineering and people who do that and the world of AI are destined to collide and become basically the same thing. That's awesome. Um, before we go, is there anything that um, either you or Spell has going on that you'd like to promote? Um, so one thing we've been working pretty hard on is um, merging, being able to support people that have built their own deep learning hardware. So that can often mean uh, I built a GPU rig and I keep it under my desk and I use it um, interactively when I'm sitting down there. Or it can mean you know companies that have looked at some basic cost projections and have decided the cloud's very expensive. And so companies that manage their own large fleets of uh, GPU machines and, and servers and racks. Um, and this sort of dichotomy that people face between the using the cloud, which can get expensive, but has the benefit of scaling up and down capacity and cost uh, whenever you need it, and building your own hardware, which can be cost effective if you're making use of that hardware really well. But because machine learning has these sort of spiky workloads, um, people often don't get the ROI on building their own hardware that they think they'll get. So, um, so one thing we've been working on is the ability to add physical machines very simply, just register, um, you know, run a simple daemon on some hardware that you own and use it as part of a spell cluster that can also then run experiments on cloud resources when necessary. So I think this is really important. Not only does it blur the lines and allow people to mix and match the types of hardware that they're using and what they're paying up front for um, or what they're buying uh, on demand from the cloud without changing any of the, uh, the dynamics around storage or where their experiments are tracked. Um, but also it kind of unlocks, there's a lot of people where the cloud is just not an option. Um, either for cost reasons, we talked to a lot of researchers that just won't sign up for AWS and, and pay those kind of bills. It allows us to work with the, you know, maybe 50, 60% of the deep learning community that does everything on their own GPU and still give them, you know, the same experiment tracking, still give them the same operational support as we give companies that want to use cloud. So I think of it as a big step forward in building a community around deep learning and also um, a huge step forward in supporting different types of hardware, different cost models, and ultimately saving people money. Great. Well, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. Um, thanks for coming on today. Cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of What the Dev. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on whatever podcatcher you use so that you can get notified about new episodes. Just as a reminder, you can find SD Times on social media to get updates from us and connect with us. We're on Twitter um, as at SD Times, on Instagram as at SD Times Mag, and on Facebook as SD Times. We also have a LinkedIn group that you can join, um, and that's called SD Times Software Development News. Bye.